Collective Nightmares podcast. We are sociologists who talk horror movies, or at least start, start talking about horror movies and use the films as a basis to talk about larger sociological topics, society, life, and everything else. My name is Marshall Smith. My interest in horror films stems from a skepticism and a greater concern about the conforming and the normal and the typical than I do the so-called deviant or outlier. And I'm Laura Patterson. Uh, Marshall and I both have our PhDs in sociology from the University of Colorado. And I've always been interested in horror because I really think it's through our most horrific experiences and our most horrific traits that people have both the greatest need and the greatest ability to connect with each other. And we have a guest, which is really exciting for us. We've had one guest, I think, before in the history of our happy little podcast. She also has advanced degrees. <laughs> I don't know if we need to start there, but uh, for us, this is a big deal. So we very much appreciate it. It's a little nerve wracking, but uh, it's exciting. And our guest is Caitlin Durante of the Bechdel cast. Hello. Hi. Should I introduce myself? Sure, please. <laughs> Uh, yes, I'm Caitlin. I host a podcast called The Bechtel Cast. It's also a movie podcast where we talk about the representation of women in film across all genres, so not just specifically horror. In fact, we've probably covered fewer horror movies than any other genre. <laughs> so I'm a great, I'm the perfect guest for this podcast. Uh, so thanks for having me. Uh, and what else? My advanced degree, of course, is that I have a master's degree in screenwriting from Boston University, and I wouldn't recommend it. It was very expensive, and I have nothing to show for it. Um, just kidding. It was fine. I had a great time, and I'm just in a lot of debt. Uh, and then finally, I'm a comedian, which is why I'm obnoxious. <laughs> so, so hi. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. We discussed a number of films to talk about, whether they were uh, feminist horror movies or decidedly not feminist horror movies and in part i think because caitlin is a also a comedian we settled on tucker and dale vs evil tucker and dale vs evil is a 2010 film directed and written by eli craig morgan jurgensen has an additional writing credit starring tyler labine as dale alan tuduk uh i don't know i've always said tuduk but yeah not sure Love him though, great actor. Very Absolutely, funny. <laughs> yeah, he's he's a he's a phenomenal character actor. That when you start digging into his IMDb, you're like, yeah, he's a chameleon too. Katrina Bowden as Allison and Jesse Moss as Chad. The synopsis from IMDb is: Affable hillbillies Tucker and Dale are on vacation at their dilapidated mountain cabin when they are mistaken for murderers by a group of preppy college students, and. There'll be spoilers this episode for this film, Tucker and Dale vs. Evil, Life of the Party, 
mild, really mild spoilers for planes, trains, automobiles, and potentially Zombieland. So at least this film, by all means, please watch it before you listen. And we're going to dive into discussion. Do either of you want to start? I would love to start. First of all, how it's crazy that Justin Trudeau is in this movie. The guy who who plays Chad looks like Canada's prime minister. Did you do you not agree? <laughs> it's like a dead ringer for him. <laughs> anyway, so that was my main takeaway. <laughs> I didn't notice that. I had just I just rewatched the first three Final Destination films, and he's in one of them. Oh, and. I haven't. I don't think I've ever seen him in another film, or at least I haven't noticed. And that's so I wasn't thinking about because he went on to be prime minister of Canada. Apparently, yes, he's been busy. He looks exactly like him. (laughs) Anyway, that's not important. I had you seen the film before? I had, yeah, a couple years ago. Thought it was fun. Thought it was a, a fun little romp. And I, I'm more drawn to. I don't even know. I mean, I suppose you could call this a a horror movie, but there's. There was never there was never a time that I was scared. It didn't like incite fear or dread really in me at any point. Um, although it has it stylistically looks and like looks like a horror. There's the graphic violence of some horror films, but I was never scared <laughs> like I usually am when I watch any horror horror movie. But yeah, I I am drawn to it just because it was it's silly. It's it subverts a lot of tr- tropes, but yeah, I like it. So I am super curious to talk about this film with the two of you, especially <laughs> because I had a very summer of '84 experience with this film. I watched it twice, and the first time I watched it just kind of for fun. Recently, twice. Yes, recently, twice for this podcast. And you'd seen it before. I had seen it before, yeah. but it was so long ago I didn't remember it. And I watched it twice purposely because I think I don't retain information terribly well. So the fact that we had to wait like two days between watching it and recording. The first time I watched it, I watched it just for fun. And it was super fun. Mm-hmm. And I had exactly, like you said, it was really enjoyable and I laughed a lot. I thought, this is a great movie. And I recommended it to like several people just after watching it that time. And then I came back and watched it again with my little notepad. And I thought, let's think about some of the bigger issues. So, you know, often when we talk about horror, we talk about how horror films set up this dynamic of good versus evil. Mm-hmm. And that's really interesting because it says a lot about society. Like you can say, what are you, how are you being prescriptive about how society should be in terms of the message that you're delivering in your film and looking at representations of different kinds of people and, and what sort of stereotypes it promotes or doesn't mm-hmm. promote. And then I thought, Oh man, it got <laughs> real ugly real quick. Mm-hmm. When I started looking at it through that lens, like it yeah. took a nosedive steeper, <laughs> steeper. I'm almost going to say, I'm tempted to say steeper than Summer of 84, which we had the exact same experience. We left. We're like, that movie was so much fun. It was great. And by the end of our conversation, ooh. <laughs> okay, there's some trouble there. I feel like there's a lot of trouble in these waters. Yes. <laughs> so I'm really curious to dive into that with you yeah. guys. Do you want to say just a little bit more about what we figured out with Summer of 84? Oh, sure. So so in Summer of 84, it was really fun to laugh at all these jokes that these little young men were making. And then we realized about halfway through our discussion that the film was basically just glorifying adolescent male sexuality mm-hmm. and how it is that we can look at women as objects and the female characters had no dimension, no role really other than to serve as collateral for the male characters. Yeah. And all the laugh lines that I laughed at in the movie were basically them again embodying this sort of 
really problematic adolescent male sexuality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This movie might have been worse, I have to say. Once I started looking at it through that lens, it really might have been worse. I think a lot of that applies to Tucker and Dale, especially with regard to the female characters and them being just like... I don't even know most of their names. I don't know anything about them. We only really get to know Allie, and then she is a damsel in distress by the end of the movie, and yeah, just a lot of stuff. Here's what I like about the movie. It ends up... so It's basically like, what if Deliverance, but the hillbillies in Deliverance were really sweet and gentle and not killers? Or like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, I feel like they're like borrowing some imagery with that when when the Tucker character is flinging the chainsaw around. And it's all just one big misunderstanding. And it's a lot of these college kids are so accident prone. (laughs) Like (laughs) to a point where you're just like, again, you're, you weed whackered yourself in the face again and and you just dove into a wood chipper. (laughs) So that. That has to happen for the story to work, but at a certain point, I was like, I was like, I don't know if I can suspend my disbelief much more that these kids are just so accident prone. But it's you know, it's part of the it's part of the humor. So it definitely feels like the more troublesome. Like when I when I sat back and looked at the film and thought, really, what are they saying about good versus? evil. What is it that they're, what is the issue that they're raising and and putting some sort of referendum down on? Because horror films almost always do that. And here it was interesting because the actual evil was like luck. Like you're saying, it was just sort of this crazy accident. Like nobody was actually engaging in violence really toward anybody. And then I realized, oh wait, the good versus evil is like Dale is the good and Chad is the evil. Mm -hmm. And so we've got this whole film that is basically a referendum on these two men and which is the better man. And the winner gets Allie. Right. I think serves the entire purpose she serves this entire film is just to be the collateral. Prize. She's the prize. She's like the arbiter of morality. The the man who deserves it is going to get her. Mm-hmm. And that's really troublesome. I mean, she really did not have any character development or any, she had nothing She's going a on. Well, that should be a therapist. <laughs> she okay. Had, yeah. just, it's not nothing. I'm not saying it's a lot, but it's more than we got from, what did we just watch? Wait, it's more than we got from Pet Cemetery. We just watched the. Oh, Pet Cemetery. I haven't seen it yet. That might be true. <laughs> oh my god, that's a low bar. <laughs> I understand that it's low bar. I'm sorry, it's not nothing. And as she was a th- her role as a therapist was again to let these two main men try to mediate their differences because the whole point was about them hashing right. out who was correct. Yeah, yeah. She ends up taking on this like fairly nurturing role, which is boring. We've seen it before, movies, but. Yeah, she definitely is poised as like the prize to be won. And then I was, I got to thinking about how kind of class plays a pretty large role in this movie where the, the, this college kids are, seem to be upper crust. They can at least afford to go to college or their parents can versus the Tucker and Dale characters who, from what we can gather, belong to a lower socioeconomic class and how the rich kids assume that because those other guys are poor, they must be like these awful rotten hillbillies who are out to kill and rape and stuff like that, which a lot of these movies do frame that type of character and that type of, like that class that way, thinking of stuff like 
Deliverance and Texas Chainsaw Massacre and I feel like a lot of Stephen King movies paint uh, or you know movies based on his books lower class people as being just drunkard like abusive not very good people so I like that that there was this subversion of that in this movie where the good guys are the lower class friends who have a vacation home together <laughs> like cute um but yeah i don't know there's then it just doesn't subvert any of the tropes when it comes to like representing women or portraying portraying female characters so i don't know it certainly doesn't do it well it doesn't do it at all you think it does so here's the thing is i don't think it does but i think he thinks he is i think the creator of this film, the the person who wrote and directed, might or could make an argument that he is actually trying to criticize hegemonic masculinity. How so? Because Chad is hegemonic masculinity. He is, I mean, he is, right? He is toxic. He is violence is the only answer. He is anti-communication. He is educated, muscular, He's Justin Trudeau. He's the Prime Minister of Canada. Right, right. (laughs) And in specific contrast to that is particularly... Dale? Dale. Dale's the love interest. Who's not Alan Tudyk? Tucker is Alan Tudyk. Dale is the other guy. (laughs) So particularly Dale is... He cries like three times in the movie. He's sensitive. He's like very much trying to be about communication. He's trying to be respectful. He wants to like listen to what she has to say. He's he's like trying to be chivalrous, even though it is it may be misguided. And is very much like let's talk it out. Let's figure this out. This is all a misunderstanding. And they certainly equate communication with femininity by making her by making Allison the arbiter or or the the therapist and the one who's like, okay. I mean, to have two characters who are the good and evil of a film sit down at a table and <laughs> you should imagine what the other person is thinking and then let's hear what that person has to say. And it's like, use I statements. I mean, she doesn't actually say that, but but she may as well. And, you know, we need to understand what, what one another's perspective is is precisely the humanizing process in contrast to the dehumanizing of stereotypes and single stories and flattening of experience. And so we can talk about how that plays out, but I think there is an effort to do that. And I would say that there's much more of an argument for that up until Dale does his you want the menacing hillbilly, I'll give you the menacing hillbilly, and we get our montage of mm-hmm. him gearing up. Because then he's like, okay, if if what it is going to take to actually accomplish this is to show that I can't embody this hegemonic masculinity, I just don't want to, but I have access to that, I will go ahead and do that. And they battle it out. Yes, she, and Allie's the damsel here, and, and he saves her. But ultimately, how he dispatches Chad is is not by impaling him or chopping his head off or whatever, but causing an allergic reaction. <laughs> With chamomile tea. <laughs> With chamomile tea, of all things. 
Of which he's like, oh, but we can save him with his inhaler. I'm just trying to incapacitate him. I'm not actually trying to kill him. But then Chad screws it up. But Chad's Chad's toxic masculinity throughout the entire film is what propels the deaths. I don't think it's luck. It's, they took my friend. We need to go after him. It's us versus them. You all are a bunch of pussies. You all don't understand what it's like. You trying to communicate is useless. And all the all the friends and all these are saying things like, well, just because they live in a rundown house doesn't necessarily mean they're murderous. Right, the Sawyer family from Texas Chainsaw <laughs> Massacre. And every time he like shuts it down and then escalates the issue. So and he so he is the villain. And so I, I understand that I understand that particularly with Allie, we then end up with a with real concerns because this is something that we come up with quite quite a bit, Caitlin, for context, is horror is a really interesting genre, I think, for both of us because of its transgressive power. Mm-hmm. And when your genre is built on challenging boundaries, you can challenge boundaries in a way that is something that is subversive and critical of those boundaries, or you can challenge those boundaries in a way that actually reinscribes those boundaries further. And so the question, I think, then becomes, because with Summer of 84... Because they're presenting it as though sort of we're challenging boundaries, but they're actually reinscribing or they're challenging regonomics and toxic masculinity of the 80s in particular, but they're reinscribing it, it's arguably worse because they're purporting to actually do something progressive, but it's even more insidious. And for me, the question that I thought about throughout my watch of this was, Is this just a failed effort at challenging at least one boundary and he got lost or trying to challenge or or criticize hegemonic masculinity? And so he, he failed at that. And because he was focused on that so much, he lost sight of other things like gender and race. Or was he actually trying to do that and ended up failing so much that he actually reinscribed or reestablished those things as even more? What you're saying is really interesting, actually. And I was so focused on the fact that this film was so about men and who's the better man. And it was. But but what the argument you're making is that, yes, if it's about hegemonic masculinity and about which form of masculinity is correct, then it is all about men because it's about these two sort of warring forms of masculinity. And that the argument that you made, actually, I feel like kind of floats. Like, okay, that seems like a fairly reasonable statement that it's it's choosing like a better form of masculinity and holding that up against a worse form. And it gets troublesome, though, when you then look at how the masculinity interacts with the female characters in the film, and particularly Allie. It really is just a film about masculinity. I mean, I think she is there only to uphold that. What I kept coming back to watching her character throughout the film was that she was really desirable, but she desired nothing. We didn't know and we weren't supposed to care what she wanted. It didn't matter at all. And at the end, I feel like Dale got her. That was reinforced by our lead in. We had this, this speech to Dale about go after what you want and, you know, be confident. You deserve things. You're mm-hmm. a great guy. And at the end, Dale's again giving that same speech. You know, you need to go after what you want and, you know, grab life and take it. And she, because he was deserving, he got her. And, but it had nothing to do with what she would want. And when we knew nothing, you know, there was a point, I think, in the film where Tucker said something to Dale about, like, you know, I see how you two look at each other. And I thought, no, you, well, we didn't see it. Okay, if you saw it, I didn't see it. Because I had no indication that Allie was 
interested in him. I mean, at all. But he was, yes, he was the better man. And because he's the better man, that maybe is a really possibly worthwhile critique of masculinity, like you're throwing out there. And I think I, I overlooked a lot of that. So I think that's good. But at the same time, because he's the better man, does he deserve to get this woman who potentially has a lot to offer, but we don't even know who she is because it doesn't matter what she wants. Right. She, she goes to the highest bidder. She, she goes to whoever's most worthwhile rather than actually having her own agency. Right. Throughout most of the movie, she's getting bonked on the head and needing being incapacitated and having to like lie down on a couch for <laughs> large portions of the movie. So yeah, she's not, she doesn't really have anything in the sense. So Marshall, I agree with what you're saying. I think the movie does do quite a bit to challenge toxic masculinity and the Chad character is sort of the, the catalyst that gets all these people to accidentally kill themselves. <laughs> I feel like the logline for this movie should be, a slasher film if the teenagers slashed themselves. Because, <laughs> <laughs> like, that's mostly what happens. But so he's a very active character. Dale and Tucker are very active in responding to all the things that Chad is trying to instigate. But all the female characters, and some of the male characters too, but Allie, who is the woman we get to know the best, uh, so to speak, we still, yeah, we don't know what she I guess survival is her main goal but like we I never got the sense that she and Dale were like vibing you know well there was that one scene at the <laughs> beginning where they both stated that they had bad fashion sense and I think they really like bonded on that well I'm glad you brought that up too because there's the moment where he he has apparently oh because she was in her Braun underwear, because they rescued her when she had... Okay, she was about to go skinny dipping. So he put his clothes on. I was like, oh my god, did he take off her clothes and put his clothes on her? But no, that's not what happened. Because that would be horrifying. He puts his clothes on her, and then in the next scene, she has, like, apparently cut them up so that she's now exposing her, like, midriff. Her shorts are tiny. Like, she's still, like, need... She's like, well, I better sexualize myself. Why did that happen? It didn't need to, but... I feel like the movie, it is doing a lot to challenge toxic masculinity, but it's also, it needs to go one step further with the development of its female characters and not just like make them the hot trophy to be won at the end. Well, and I think she was, I'm going to say only, and I think this is probably true, only characterized, again, as an object of desire. So she did things that would make the men want her more. Like, mm -hmm. she could dig a latrine, and that's right. really cool. She went bowling, and <laughs> yeah. yeah, she puts her shorts on all skimpy, because whatever. Like <laughs> She likes to play, happens to be Dale's favorite game. She, mm -hmm. she did things that would make him desire her. She, I, I don't think she wanted anything. I mean, I can't think of a single point in the movie where I ever felt that Allie had a desire for anything other than maybe at a base level. Yes, I felt she probably didn't want to die. <laughs> I mean, that's a pretty darn low bar. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. I mean, I agree with all that. I, I, I do. I agree with all that. I guess the only other thing I was going to say is specifically within the like subgenre of horror, which is slashers, and even the subgenre within that, which are rural, quote-unquote, poor white trash as the criminals or as the evil, those are films that, that what, demonize and stigmatize that working-class white poor masculinity. And 
I very much agree with everything you're saying about women. I guess I would say that the argument, how about this? If you read the film within the context of that history of that specific piece of film, it's maybe a little bit more forgivable that he got lost in that discussion because that's so much what those films are about. And uh, maybe not because yes, if he were really interested in doing that, it seems like a much more effective way of speaking to that genre it would be much more effective for him to do that in a way that was an intersectional challenge right that did something with gender and sexuality and race because there's a few gay jokes i suppose that don't need to be in the movie uh the big one being when they're being when dale and tucker are being pulled over by the sheriff or the deputy or deputy or whoever and tucker has spilled beer all over his lap and the line that he says right before that is, you know, whenever you want something, you just have to go out and get it. It's not just going to fall into your lap and then like, beer falls. I don't know if that was like an intentional joke, but anyway. So he's covered in beer. He's being pull- pulled over. For some reason, Dale needs to like go head first into his crotch. And then he's his, hiding the beer, right? I, I Something. <laughs> I don't know. And then he his shirt, com- Dale's shirt comes off. And basically, it's it's it looks like he's performing oral sex on Tucker, and then the cop comes up, and that looks like what was just happening. And it's not the worst example of just weird, random, casual homophobia that I've seen, but it didn't need to be there. It didn't add anything. I didn't think it was funny. It might have been funny in 2010. I don't know, but <laughs> yeah, it that was weird. And then almost immediately after that, we cut to a conversation that the college kids are having. And I think it's the one person of color in the group, or maybe there are two. It's the guy who was in She's the Man, which is uh, a great non-horror movie. <laughs> but anyway, I don't even know his character's name. But he says something like, oh, if, if you have a bunch of dreams that you're gay, does that mean you're gay? <laughs> something like that. And everyone's like, yeah, it does. And I just... Again, it's not it's not the word because I mean, watch any movie from like the late '90s and they're just or like early 2000s, and uh, they just run rampant with casual homophobia. But I'm just like, why did that need to be there? It didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I absolutely agree with you, and I found myself at the end of the film like kind of weighing these things mm-hmm. against the the messages I took. I mean, I think you did a much more eloquent job of of laying out what I think is a reasonable argument for something they were actually trying to accomplish with the film. I took it a little bit more as like a nice guys don't always have to finish last kind of argument, and, and I thought that's good. It's mm-hmm. good to say that you shouldn't be a jerk, and it's good to kind of challenge this this idea that just because you're college educated that means something and you're somehow better than somebody who didn't go to school or whatever like that was good right but when i looked at the gender stuff i just thought it was painfully horrible and the homophobia right was painful i thought the drinking and driving was unnecessary i thought there was just yeah. a lot of stuff that was like hand waved past that made me feel like on some i don't oh god i don't know that's the thing with a lot of comedies is that for a very long time, up to and including pretty recently and sometimes still today, uh, people think that comedy has to come from punching down. And that means just making fun of or making light of or making jokes about any marginalized group. And this movie was 
no exception. Again, it didn't do the worst job of, of, of it. But yeah, I think the fact that this is horror plus comedy is the reason that we are seeing a lot of that stuff. Because, I mean, at least on the Bechtel cast, when we cover any comedy from basically any era, especially like 90s, 2000s, 80s, all of it. It's, it's just like so many jokes uh, that are transphobic, homophobic, racial jokes, just all kind of like very, I mean, sexist, everything. It's bad. Making fun of people with disabilities. It's endless and it's horrible. So yeah, I have a feeling that because people don't understand what comedy should be or that they think it should be like punching down. That's why we get some of those jokes in this movie. Whereas if it was a straight up horror, I don't know if we would see a scene where it looks like he's performing oral sex on another man for no reason. I'll say one positive thing about the comedy in this film that I I thought actually it it wasn't as painful as sometimes it is, Mm. is that a lot of the comedy I thought relied on this, the idea that even if the circumstances that you saw were like logically unlikely, like (laughs) someone diving into a wood chipper and whatnot, it was like (laughs) probably not going to happen that way. The way that people interacted with each other was actually, I thought, very believably reasonable. And I thought a lot of that was really funny. So like when you would look at what some, you look at what happened and then the assumption you would make about somebody else was like, oh, well, obviously, obviously Dale and Tucker were killing these people or, you know, well, obviously there's, there's this tension here. And that escalated, I thought, really effectively in the film in a way that I was surprised they were able to just pull that progression off. Mm -hmm. And that I thought was actually really funny. And there were a couple like hilarious lines where, was like when Tucker was describing like, well, no, we can't go to the police and why we can't. And it's like, (laughs) that was like really funny. (laughs) I I was impressed by them. I thought if I sat down to like do this in this Mm -hmm. film, I don't know if I could have like laid it out that well. I thought that was actually just solidly like good, not hitting people down, being mean to people funny in a lot of places. And most of the humor in the movie is that it's like pretty clever or just at least silly and not punching down to any particular group but it was just those couple of instances where i was like you your movie would be so much better if you didn't have this in here and and he he did do that or he at least could have done that and we saw that because i wrote that i love when chuck who's like the cheesy like maybe slightly more effeminate part of the college kids chad's like look if you want to be uh, a coward and go run to the cops you go ahead and do that and he's like okay I'll go <laughs> and it's like great good for you buddy <laughs> oh this is the guy with the his, his he wouldn't shut up about his dad's truck that one I, yeah I think yeah. so he's like I'm the only one who can try that he's like um, naive and I was just like oh that's so great and he's and in doing that he is also the one who actually brings the cops there and like promote some sort of actual solution uh, even though that also goes horribly <laughs> wrong right because he shoots himself in the face and then the sheriff gets impaled in the head yes. with a bunch of not like nails and then <laughs> oh my gosh these people they're just so accident prone but the but the comedy was there that was uh really challenging that's very challenging of so okay I, I also want to say I'm not actually I really enjoy this movie. I'm not trying to defend the movie, and I don't want that to be how this presents, but I think it's interesting to at least look at the questions, particularly with the sexuality pieces of, is there something there in relationship to 
the fact, Caitlin, that you specifically brought up deliverance, that there's this predatory male sexuality in some of those films that is not exclusively directed at women. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know what that is or how that does, but I think it's worth asking the question. And then there were other moments where, as problematic as, as so many of these other things were, there were moments where Chad was portrayed really critically for doing the things that are, are so, so much of a trope in so many horror films as to be just, it, it devolves to the accepted because it's so uh, cliche that it's, it's normalized. And those are things like the, the woman who's trying to call for help on her cell phone. And, mm. and so he ignores these good ideas that come from women. And he doesn't just ignore them. He's like, your phone's useless out here. I'm going to smash it. Or I'm just not going to say don't use it. I'm actually going to smash it, making it absolutely useless. And that, again, escalates their problems. And so, and I, I just think the, the example that comes to mind the most for me, which is my real critique of paranormal activity, is the entire film is the woman in the house saying, why don't we just leave the house? Let's move. <laughs> And the man, I don't know if they're married or whatever, but the man in the house is like, ignores her. Excuse, why not? Rationalization, why not? Reason, why not? And it's unfortunate because the whole film, how about this? In so many of those films, the whole thing could be resolved if somebody would just do one of those things or somebody would actually just have a conversation. They tried to get Chad and Dale to do mm-hmm. And so to have that in the film, I do feel like he was, he was trying to challenge some things. And I, it just, it, I, I guess it is maybe even more disappointing that, that he fell short in some of these other ways because it seemed like there could have been some real potential. And there were little details too. Like the one kid, Mitchell, is wearing like a designer. It looks like a work shirt, but it's not a work shirt. And that was a designer fashion at some point where it was like workwear as preppy wear. Mm. And he's doing that. And then, you know, we literally have, I can't remember which one of them, in an actual work shirt with his like name and, you know, his patch elsewhere. So there, there's intent behind some of this. So I do think you're onto something here. And I think when we look at horror films, we often look at so the morality of how the evil is presented. And is it presented in such a way where you as the audience are clearly meant to be put off by that evil? Are you solidly on the side of what seems like morally good? Or could it somehow be interpreted in such a way that you're actually enjoying going for the ride with the evil, right? And we talk about that like when we talk about rape revenge films all the Mm -hmm. time. You have to be very careful if you're going to raise something where there is a clear moral line of what's going on here, that the audience needs to constantly be situated on the side of experiencing it from the perspective of the good side of that morality. Mm -hmm. And I do think you're right that in here, in this film, Chad was the bad guy. Chad was the evil. And we were never kind of buddy-buddy with Chad. We never felt like, oh, I could see being in your shoes, or I, oh, that's kind of fun what you're doing. Or we, we never went along for the ride with Chad. We were constantly, like, we were consistently critical of Chad throughout the film. And I do think that's an accomplishment, and that's something that sometimes I think horror films waver on to their detriment, is letting you possibly enjoy the the bad behavior that's going on. And, and I think you're right, it didn't do that. Mm-hmm. Ooh, I actually have sort of a question for you. Yeah. So what I wrote about with the homophobic jokes I, this is where we'll need maybe some details of 
Is there any possible explanation that the college kids were shown specifically making homophobic jokes because that is a crucial part of toxic masculinity and Tucker and Dale were involved in this potentially homoerotic situation, but they weren't, it wasn't really problematic for them as a way of showing like it's okay for them, but for these kids that, that That, that's be part of their. Yeah. Cause, cause like I said, those two scenes happen almost back to back and you see so many movies where two men, two straight men will find themselves in some sort of quote unquote compromising situation where I'm thinking of planes, trains, and automobiles where I don't know if you remember yes. the scene where John Candy and Steve Martin are, had to sleep in the same like motel bed together and then they've woken up and they're both like cuddling each other because they think that they're each other's respective spouse. And then they realize, oh my god, your your hand is between my legs, and like I just kissed your other hand, like and and then they bolt out of bed. They're like, oh my god, that's so gross. What just happened? We were touching each other, and we're straight men, and ew. So you do see that, and they the fact that Dale and Tucker do not react like that at all. They just they're just like, yeah, your face is in my lap, trying to hide the beer or whatever and then they weren't grossed out by it but then contrast that with the like the frat college kids being like yeah if you had a dream uh that you were doing some sort of homosexual activity then you're definitely gay and (laughs) And that's that's gross yeah and that's that's terrible that is an interesting i hadn't considered that but uh yeah i suppose hmm to me, just upon first glance, it seemed like it was, this is a comedy, so we have to have, like, silly, crazy things happen, and, like, wouldn't it be funny if, like, Dale's face was in Tucker's crotch? But maybe that was intentionally there to, like, demonstrate the difference between the two versions of masculinity among these two groups. But then that reminds me of a question that I had or something I was curious about. So in the end, we find out that Chad, the bad guy is half hillbilly. Right. <laughs> As if, oh, like, that's great. I'm that's... so glad you brought that up. <laughs> and I feel like, and I might be wrong, but it almost seems like that's sort of the story's way of explaining why he's so, or at least partly why he's, like, violent and scary and, like, just so angry because he's got this hillbilly blood in him. Absolutely. So. There was a very strong nature versus nurture kind <laughs> right. of argument going so on. So that, if that's true, if that is what the movie is intending to say, that just kind of dismantles <sighs> the whole argument of, like, but Dale and Tucker are these nice guys. But then also consider this. The very last scene in the bowling alley when Dale is, like, some character we haven't seen before, another like quote hillbilly friend of his is like, yeah, go talk to that woman. You just, you gotta go out there and get what you want. And then we see him in the background accidentally like punching a woman that he had tried to talk to. Did you, did you see this part? I, I noticed something in the background happened. I didn't see the details. So I'd assumed it was a, uh, they did it. It happened to them out of bad luck in reaction to them. I didn't <laughs> so see him here's, actually. Here's stay. what I interpreted, or the, here's what I saw. Or I think 
you see, you maybe don't see him striking her on screen. You hear the sound effect, and then it cuts to a shot of like him in the background with the woman falling down, and then him dragging her off screen. As if to say, like, it, almost like a caveman kind of thing, where it's like, I clubbed you over the head, I clubbed a woman over the head with my club, and I'm gonna drag her away to my cave. Like, and this is all happening in the background, in the foreground is like the big romantic kiss between Dale and Allie. And I'm like, really? That's your backdrop for this scene? A man striking a woman and then dragging her away? <laughs> so I I still feel like it's like, yeah, there's some hillbillies that are nice, like Dale, but then a lot of them are still scary <laughs> well, and or abusive. It's of how there's so much problematic stuff in what you just put out there that it does we haven't even mentioned in the context of the scene the helmet that he gives her. Oh yeah. As though I will protect you forever. And she's like, right. oh my gosh, that's so sweet. Like, again, you are not, she's, she's a non-existent character. She, right. Her role is to be taken care of or one or what, that was horrible. I mean, it was a horrible ending for her character to have him give her a helmet and have her think that's adorable. I mean, the fact that they wedged in a romantic story at all was completely unnecessary. Fine. If you want to have it so that a woman <laughs> bonks her head as she's prone to do, because, uh, you know, women be bonking their heads all the time. Uh, and then he has to rescue her. I mean, that's all, all of this already is not good. But then why not just have them develop a friendship? Or, like, this is the uh, one interaction they have and they part ways forever. The fact that they're like, no, but we got to have them be kissing at the end. But otherwise, <laughs> Dale deserved it. Dale wouldn't have gotten he what nice he wanted. Guy. Yeah. The whole theme of the movie would not hang together if he didn't actually acquire her at the end. Yeah. Her deeds don't really matter in that context because that's not what it's about. It's about Dale. I'm going to throw in a sociology moment because I totally am on board with what you all are saying. And what I wrote down is the heterosexual imaginary, which is Chris Ingraham's Ingraham's, uh, argument that in U.S. culture, we use heterosexuality as a narrative and a justification that is self-contained. If there is a heterosexual couple doing something, that's all the explanation we need. Mm. And so she uses it particularly in the concept of a wedding. That's all you need to throw like the most lavish party of your entire life is a heterosexual couple. Nobody else gets to do that. Nobody else gets to do it in that same way. Nobody else gets to just say, oh, well, I think everybody in the world should devote an entire day to me other than we're hetero and I guess now (laughs) whenever you debate same gender weddings, this she was writing before the time, but I love it because it's a, it is a phenomenon that is, I mean, I don't even know if rampant is enough of a word to say that Hollywood basically runs on the heterosexual imaginary, Mm -hmm. at least prominent Hollywood. And this was a great example of that. And yes, because it didn't need to be there. It would have been really interesting. I'm trying to think now, again, in, in, in the sort of dialogue of the genre. Slasher films, you know, the classic is sex equals death, and they don't have sex, but nobody has sex. They all do drugs or drink, which is the other sin is death. Mm-hmm in those so i i don't know if that means anything and it is sort of it is actually unfortunate they kiss because if they would have just ended up being like oh we're good buddies 
I think it would have been okay. And but I also I feel like people would have been baffled. Well, because we audiences have come to expect. expect yeah. There's got to be a hetero kiss at the end, or was it even a movie? <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. So. But Dale wouldn't have acquired her. Like he, I think he had to acquire her for the way the movie was set up. If he hadn't, that would have. You're right. It would have been a much better movie. But but yeah, I mean, the heterosexuality you see shoe, shoehorned into all kinds of things, and I'm sure that, that there. I mean, I don't know, Kayla. Maybe you're prominent enough in Hollywood to tell us, like, <laughs> no. <laughs> I am sure that there are executives who sit in like, okay, well, where's the love interest? Which is basically oh, the I way. I think that's a lot of, how a lot of like development conversations happen. Yeah, like we have to have a love interest, right? And so, and again, I'm not trying to excuse him. I, I'm really not. I guess what I'm trying to do is is identify these things because if we can see that and we can identify it, and then we can get people to notice it, maybe we can get people to be okay with it not being there. And I think here's the most problematic aspect of that. It's not just having a love interest is one thing and and wanting that sort of romantic narrative, I guess, in the film. But it's that there was no romantic narrative. All we saw was that Dale wanted her primarily because she was hot. I mean, that was the whole intro was she's Mm. really sexy. And then like, oh, when he was talking to her and asking her about her psychology and whatever, he already wanted her and he wanted her because she was sexy. And so he was trying to like look like he cared or know what to say to her. Mm -hmm. And we got zero information about who she was. And we got zero information about who, what she wanted and what she would want in a man. And so, like, for this to be a romance, I feel like all the romance was, was he could get a sexy girl. She, whatever, we don't even know. And we didn't, we never saw them connect. Like, we never saw, I don't mind a romance being there if it can actually be a romance where it looks like both people are involved and engaged and care about each other. It makes sense. Exactly. But like, he's just like, she's hot. And she's like, well, my feelings don't matter. So whatever. (laughs) You were were the nicest boy to me. So I like you. And it's like, well, I mean, maybe sometimes that happens. But also, yeah, just in... He's a liability. I mean, he was like, he's a nice guy, but like to really be dating him, like he had some problems and, you know, bringing him <laughs> home and to meet your friends, like that'd be difficult. And I thought there's no way, solidly no way you could flip the genders in this film and have this ever fly. Oh, like sure. you have the older kind of unattractive woman and the super the young hot, hot frat stud. boy. And yeah. then because she's a better person and she's kind, right. he ends up in love with her. Never would that ever, ever, ever happen, ever in a million years, ever, in a film. And that doesn't fly as a love story. You'd be like, what the heck? I think the new Seth Rogen and Shirley's their own comedy is that. Oh, yeah. I, the preview, I just saw the preview. Really? And is it just because she's a Well, no, person? it's No, it's the same thing. It's Have you seen schlubby, that? Yeah, I've seen the trailer. It's, the, it's you know, schlubby, sleth, sleth? Yeah. <laughs> Well, right, yeah, basically. Seth Rogen falling in love with hot, conventionally attractive Charlize Theron. And then I think she's a little older than him because I think the idea is that she was his babysitter. Yes, right. So she's at least probably eight to ten years-ish or something, some amount of time older than him. But she is still the very conventionally attractive one. So you're talking about a not so conventionally attractive older woman like bagging this like hot young college stud yeah solely solely on the merits of her morality right because she's a good person although that uh, I'm with you I'm with you I I, yeah I got I got sidetracked that if you've seen the movie Life of the Party starring 
Melissa McCarthy. But that actually does happen in that movie where she goes back. To, she's like, I don't know, in her 40s. Uh, she's the mother of a college age girl, goes back to school and then ends up like sleeping with a uh, like hot college boy. So that is the one example. <laughs> okay, see. so here's the, because I haven't seen the film. So the question I have then, is that a point of comedy that that happens? Or is that meant to be like a point of morality? Like, oh, good, Not good one if, out. I don't think there's, there's nothing like about it that the audience is meant to think like, oh, this is so gross. Or like, this is, whoa, this, it's, 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 it's fairly normalized. And I think... It was, like, fairly positive representation, you know, for people. You know, she's a larger woman. She is older than this guy was. So, and for that kind of relationship to be normalized, I think was positive. It was a terrible movie. I would not recommend seeing it because it was not funny or good. But, uh, like, it, it, it normalized that relationship. So that is the one example I can think of. Oh, all right. I mean, Melissa McCarthy's beautiful. Is she the conventionally, you know, size zero supermodel type? No, but yeah, uh, she she's she's great. <laughs> I'll just say I hate Seth Rogen and Charlize <laughs> Theron, and I'm so disappointed that she's doing a movie with him. That doesn't relate to anything at all. <laughs> I like want to say it. I want to say that I think this movie can be even more problematic, particularly given what you all have pointed out. Because I think, I think there are guys who could take it and, and run with it in the sort of nice guys phenomenon of, how, how do you even describe that? Of men who make some sort of small effort to, to actually be progressive and respectful to women and, uh, open to feminist ideas. And they do that in a very cynical way in order to, gain some sort of access or favor that they think will actually get them laid. Oh, for lack of yeah, there are, there, that is a thing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's it. There's a subreddit that I follow. That's critical of nice guys. I guess for, cause there's all, there's the other version of nice guys where they're like, I'm so fucking nice. Why doesn't, why don't women sleep with me? That's like the whole incel nation kind of thing. Yeah. And, those are men who feel very entitled to women and their bodies. And it's like, well, I've been, I haven't murdered anyone. So, uh, why don't women want to be with me? At least Dale's not like that. <laughs> no, but I, no, but I, but I think there are guys who could, who are believe that. I think we're talking about the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> because I think it's like, oh, well, I was nice to you for like a second and I, that's enough. You should be happy now, mm-hmm. and you should be grateful that I was nice to you for a second. And but he doesn't have to be because she just throws herself at him at the end. I, I wonder if there's a world where he, he was like, "Well, I was nice to her. Why won't she go out with me?" She, she surprises kisses him. I made, yeah, yes. <laughs> go ahead, Laura. You're dying, <laughs> but again, Sorry. it didn't really happen. The film was written that way, and so that's not. Somebody wrote that as a fantasy for the nice guy. Like, and yeah. again, I feel like the message that gives is you deserve it. And again, go after it because it's yours. And realistically, when you look at Dale, like what wonderful thing. I mean, he was a good guy. He was. And he was certainly better than Chad. He wasn't. I mean, he didn't. What did he do? He he didn't leer at her when she was naked and didn't think he was there. Fact, so he, he covered points. his eyes. Yeah. I mean, good job. 
But I mean, again, what are we, where are we setting the bar for like, <laughs> you get any woman you want because you are such an upstanding man because you didn't, you didn't do anything rapey. You <laughs> tried to ask about her day once. <laughs> you, you saved her from drowning. You know, she was That's clearly drowned. Like, I would hope that anyone, whether they wanted to sleep with me or not, would fish me out of, you know, unconscious out of a lake in a boat right there. Like, I hope so. Even if you don't like me, just drag me to the shore or something. Like, I mean, he didn't do anything that spectacular, I guess, that he... I think we're agreeing that I think people who believe that sort of nice guy narrative could take it and be like, oh, well, yeah, he, of course he deserves her. And what do we need to know about her? Because, well, he was nice to her. And that is what entitled him to be the quote-unquote winner. And then I just want to point out that we do have that terrifying scene with Chad where he threatens her with his hatchet. And he's like, no, you're mine or you're... And licks her face. Yeah, (laughs) you don't get to be with him. He has her tied to the slab that's about to go through the, what are those things called? Saw boards cutting. Yes. Saw. There's a a saw there. Right. Right. Big one. Yeah. Yeah. Circular. So again, it's like, well, hey, look, our, our... protagonist didn't do that he didn't right. he didn't quasi rape you right good job you just you get anything you want all the candy the in the world. world the bar for men's behavior across basic in almost all movies is so low where it's like as long as you didn't try to, yeah be rapey or scary toward a woman you good for you and you deserve that woman and it's like no and it's it's men writing these movies and it's men thinking oh i i was a good boy so i deserved a kiss <laughs> and, and and something something that that you all point out and we've discussed this too is who's involved and a cursory review of the imdb page for this is that it's written directed there's like 10 producers, one of them, two of them look like they are typically women names. But yeah, it, it's, the editor was Bridget. Okay. But anyway, overwhelmingly men. And then something that I enjoy talking about with Laura is that how do we, how do we change this to actually make it more subversive? How would you, how would you rework this so that, particularly within the horror genre, the idea of a film where there's an opportunity to really cast toxic masculinity, hegemonic masculinity as the evil and promote a an acceptable masculinity is an interesting idea. And so we've talked about making Ali just a friend, but... So I think in horror, you have to set up some kind of battle, right? And usually it's good versus evil. And in here, they did a funny route, which worked and made a comedy, I think, by making evil not actually be one of the characters. And so I think somebody has to win. I mean, so in order to do this film, I think, and do it better, right, you could still set up these two kinds of masculinity, however you want to do it, and we still need our winner, but our winner shouldn't be determined by who gets the girl. The girl shouldn't be the prize. And so what? what's the battle if the battle's not her? And the battle can just be survival. I mean, certainly that's been I mean, enough. that's the case of a, for a lot of horror movies, right? right? So. For sure. So you could have Allie and Dale work together. Make her more active, yeah. Make her more active, because, yeah, she is totally... And I think there's a name for a trope that you all talk about of where... I think that's you. Uh, not you, but the, in the Bechtel <laughs> cast. Um, women who are protagonists, and then they spend particularly the climax of the film unconscious. Oh, yeah. I don't know like, if that... Ha- 
that might have a name, that trope, but I mean, you see it all the time. So she could I, not be unconscious, right? Or like tied from... down? Yeah, she doesn't. <laughs> she doesn't do anything really in the climax. I mean, and Dale is the protagonist, so he's being he's going to be given most of the you know, the major decisions and the the big triumphs and stuff like that. But that doesn't mean that you have to completely sideline the one female character that we get to know. So yeah, definitely could have been made more active. Set her up with a skill that pays off, that just like helps her defeat the bad. She can dig. She could have <laughs> she something dig. towards the end. She... <laughs> and we do we do see that scene, which is really funny, where she's like mediating a conversation between these two men, and it doesn't go anywhere because the cabin ends up burning down, and so, and like someone burns to death, and like all this horrible, grotesque stuff happens. But she is using that skill that has been set up earlier she says you know i want to be a therapist apparently no one believes in her including her family so that's i feel it's sad (laughs) sorry Allie. but yeah i don't know i feel like she could have just been characterized a little bit better so that we know any any more about her and she's given a skill that can pay off and help save the day tucker could have been a woman tucker could have been a woman they could yeah and the moral of the film should apply equally to all of our protagonists. So if the moral of the film is believe in yourself, you can get what you want, that shouldn't include getting another human kind of against their own wants. Like, they should then have their own agency. Like, if mm-hmm. all of the main characters learned through this process, whoever lives at the end, I can do what I want in life. And she's like, yeah, it doesn't matter if my parents don't believe in me. I'm going to go be a therapist because that's what I want. Because she used her skill, say, right. in the thing and believes in herself and she can go do it. And Dale believe, I don't know what they want, <laughs> but they should want something, I guess, other than just hot woman. That would be helpful. <laughs> they want a vacation home. Sure. So then they work harder on their, whatever. <laughs> I, I'm kidding. That's supposed to be. Also, whatever, in, earlier in the movie, whenever Dale first approaches them at like the gas station, he's carrying a scythe. <laughs> he like picks it up to go take it over there. I don't even think that it was he already had it in his hands. He's like, yeah, I'm going to go over there. Better grab my side. And then they're all like, he's scary. But I don't know. I get like, yeah, that was a joke. But I'm just like, really? Why, Dale? Come on. <laughs> it made me laugh. <laughs> it's funny. <laughs> but why? I, I guess it's just to show like how clueless both he and Tucker are when it comes to interacting with anyone besides each other i guess it didn't pass the bechdel test no (laughs) not even close there's also one of the women that we was do see a little bit of is wearing wears high heels to go camping and that is like called attention to someone's like if you didn't wear your stripper shoes shoes, shoes, but that still means that we had a, a character who made that choice and And so much attention is drawn to, like, her cleavage. And I think it's her whose naked breasts we see whenever they're skinny dipping. So it's just, again, just, like, more sexualization of, like, young, conventionally attractive women. So, boo. (laughs) (laughs) They do actually mention sociology. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. It's a weak shout-out. It's a weak shout-out, but... I mean, let's face it, the number of films that actually mention sociology, the film that I think of is uh, The First Purge, 
the fourth Purge film, but the first Purge, <laughs> where the woman who is running their design of the experiment absolutely was a sociologist, but they made her a psychologist because nobody knows what sociology is. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, oh, well, psychology is close enough, then people will, that's fine, then they'll understand what's happening. So I, for one, appreciated actually having... Sociology mentioned as a is word. Is that the scene the where she says, "Oh, I learned about this in my sociology class"? Yes. The um, I'm like, oh, what's it called? Stockholm Stockholm syndrome. syndrome. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And would, then, would you learn about that in a sociology class? I feel like you would learn about that more in a psychology. I class. thought the same thing too. I was like, oh, I don't know. I'll take it. But like, right. I don't yes. know. Unfortunately, yes, I totally agree. <laughs> I have one other thing. Do you all have other? Let me check my notes. Thanks. I didn't take that many. This is, I, 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 I wondered what you were going to do with that. It's, uh, you know, I... Um, oh, you, I guess you told us that when we first met you, that you are a copious note-taker. Yes. Uh, no, I think I, I covered any everything. Yeah. That was all I had. What do you have, Laura? I only have one, but it's a, it's sort of a non-comment, but I'll throw it out there anyway, yeah. just for an ongoing conversation that we've had, talking about sort of the ethical use of violence and when is it okay to show gore and oh, when is exactly it, and how is that used? Is. How is it? Yeah, yeah. Cool. Totally. I, so I wanted to think about that because often now with films that at least crosses my mind is one of the questions to ask. And I thought it was interesting because it almost didn't apply in this film because it was a comedy and I could not wrap my head around why that would be. But, you know, we're always asking questions of like, okay, it's okay to show violence if you're going to show it in the pursuit of, you know, if you're not going to exploit it, if you're not going to make us enjoy the being on the side of the villain. And there can be something cathartic about watching someone go through maybe a trauma that other people have experienced and understanding what that feels like from the side of the victim. And that can be okay. But it's really the how and the why are really sticky. Yeah. And here, if for some reason, it's like I couldn't even get the question to form in my head. And I was like, is it just because it's a comedy that somehow the, the violence like had no impact? I mean, and I didn't and know what to so do much with it. the violence is them inflicting it upon themselves accidentally. So like maybe that has something to do with it. That's a super good point. I think you're exactly right. <laughs> I think you just nailed it. Actually, nobody's enacting violence right. on anybody else. There's those, that one kind of like shootout where Chad has a gun and Dale has a nail gun and that, but no one ever like lands a, a shot on each other. So that's the only time where anyone's really trying to, aside from Chad trying and failing to kill any, anyone. Um, yeah, there's no, all the other cases are just people accidentally jumping into a wood chipper. So. <laughs> You're exactly right. And this is like the first horror film we've ever watched. I think where nobody is violent against any other character. Oh, yeah, there's a lot of gore. Yeah. <laughs> that's really funny. That is funny. It's also really interesting. Because then they avoid, do they? I guess then they avoid all those situations I just referred to as sticky or as really fraught with peril in terms of being problematic. It would have been different if they sexualized it because sometimes we see that as well. So if you had the women being even accidentally brutalized in ways that made them kind of sexy bloody, that could have been a problem. Well, there is that shot of after the kid jumps into the wood chipper just like a pile of blood splatters onto the same woman who wore the high heel shoes and and like her cleavage is like bursting out of her shirt and then it's just it's almost like a wet t-shirt contest except it's blood so there is like that one brief moment that i that struck me as being like kind of unneededly sexualized of her 
but yeah, every, uh, well, I guess there's the, the flashback scenes where the, um, what are they called? The Ma- Memorial Day Massacre? Yeah. Where you see the killer hillbillies killing the preppy kids. But yeah, that's the only time you really see actual violence being inflicted on someone else. And I noticed that, and convincing or not, I felt like the idea possibly could have been similar to the um, homoeroticism argument where she was supposed to be the representative of cliche past horror films and Allie was supposed to be the final girl, the more progressive, which is why you see her naked and her not. And Mm -hmm. she does nothing and is useless to the point of where I, like I said, I I really took her to be like caricature or, or satire, which doesn't pan out because Allie is then so you like you said it's such a low bar it's like well you're better than this but this is like this tragically absurd caricature that we have left over from the 70s which is we're coming up on like 50 years since these movies came out we could do a little bit better Hollywood I guess it was 40 since or 35 40 for 2010 when this came out but yeah but yeah. <laughs> Can I just close with like a, a shout out to what I thought was the best use of violence for oh, comedy yeah. in the entire film? Mm-hmm. When Tucker drags the carcass out of the wood chipper over Dale's face. Yeah. <laughs> that was hilarious. <laughs> hilarious. That's really uh, good. That was good. Yeah. <laughs> I think that, yeah, that's, I think that's all I have too. What a stimulating conversation we <laughs> had here today. <laughs> I think that wraps it up. I would say in some, I still feel the way I felt coming into this conversation. Although I think you made some, some good arguments that I didn't see through the, like I was so focused on some of the problematic stuff. I didn't see some other things that were possibly good, but I still think over, overall, I'm going to give it a rating on the more harmful than good. So as far as whether it's like perpetuating bad stereotypes or trying to break them, I think it perpetuates more than it challenges. That's unfortunate. Mm -hmm. I say that's unfortunate because it's a film I've totally recommended to people as like a, if you're, or you want to watch something that's a horror movie, but you don't want to really dive into something traumatic to watch. This is something that mm-hmm. plays with the genre that is not scary. It's kind of fun. And I'm like, maybe I should have recommended it so much. <laughs> I, I did the same thing in the span of the last 36 hours. Like I watched once, thought it was hilarious, recommended it to like five people, watched again, and then was like, oh. I should have thought a little harder about some of these things before I... So he also made Zombieland, which I don't know if... Oh, yeah, I saw that. I want to rewatch that now and rethink it because I feel like there's probably similar concerns with that. I feel like, because I remember Jesse Eisenberg being in it. I remember the guy, Woody Harrelson, being in it. I don't... Who's the female character? Because there's probably only one and I don't know who it is. No, there's... uh, (laughs) North Carolina and, uh, or who are, there's two of them. Oh, okay. And they're very savvy women. All right. I, I guess it deserves to. I'm just curious yeah. if there's similar problems because, because yeah, there's two men who are clearly still the protagonists, mm. which, you know, that, that's problematic and it's all right. But then there's two women who like come out on top in at least two different interactions with those two men where like they outsmart them or out maneuver them. Hmm. Okay. I gotta rewatch. And the opening 
montage of that film is can be seen as sort of anti-American in ways that I appreciate. <laughs> Anyhow, well, Caitlin, thank you very much for guests appearing on our... Thanks for having me. I mean, I did email you and be like, hey, can I be on your show? So, uh, yeah. Thanks for letting me... <laughs> Like representation of women in this film, it is a very low bar <laughs> to appear on our show. So thank you sure. for coming no, we to our meager little podcast. I remember, I remember being like really hopeful that when we first talked to you, we were going to be able to work out something and about appearing or mm-hmm. you coming on or whatever. And um, I at least guess I felt like you needed to be the one to. <laughs> to initiate that. And so I was really excited. I mean, cool. I texted well, Laura immediately. So anyway, it was it's exciting for happy, us. Happy to be here. Thanks <laughs> for having me. And um, I'll come back and we'll talk about, you know, something else. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's there's lots to talk about for sure. Do you want to say your stuff? Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, you can check out the Bechtel cast. And if you're not if you're like, what what are you saying? It's inspired by the Bechdel test, which if you're not familiar, is a media test that you apply to TV, movies, etc. that requires that two named female identifying characters have to speak to each other about something other than a man. So that was sort of the groundwork that we built this podcast from, and we just uh, use that as uh, initiator of a larger conversation about the general representation and portrayal of women in movies. We cover a different movie every week, much like this podcast. And yeah, you can um, follow us on social media at Bechtelcast. Go to our website, Bechtelcast.com. It's spelled B-E-C-H-D-E-L. And yeah, check it out. Uh, some horror movies we've done. Recent one was Rosemary's Baby with Jessica Harper, star of Suspiria. That was super fun. We've done Halloween. We've done Friday the 13th. We've done Carrie. We've done bonus episodes on The Babadook and Teeth and Get Out. Out. Yep, yep. Some other ones I'm probably forgetting. So, yeah, check it out. And thanks again for having me. All right. Thank you. And horror films are our collective nightmares. I do want to... Can we go through and say all our spoilers? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What were they? Just the spell. That's a good spell. Anything else? Oh, um... Planes, trains, and automobiles? (laughs) (laughs) Is that a spoiler? I guess. It's mild, this spoiler. Let me make sure. I definitely said something. What did I say? You talked about Zombieland a teeny bit. (sighs) Uh, no, I said. Uh, let me make sure "Life at the Party" is actually the name. Oh, of the oh, right. No, there was something else I like. Ugh, whatever. <laughs> <laughs>
couldn't have gotten. Yeah. I mean, I haven't so. seen it. I've just seen the trailer, so that's the trailer's fault. Uh, all right. No, we didn't. Just remember it. Headphones? I don't, uh, I can't, either way. I, we don't typically do. No, I find it distracting. We do a casual podcast. <laughs> <laughs> casual is a good word. They're sophisticated are you, as you are. Are you... <laughs> but now I'm in charge? Well, honest, it's facing you, is all I'm saying. So, if I'm in charge, it'll be facing this direction. It certainly cannot be turned. <laughs> if you don't want to use them, I, I will. What's if that? You, oh, the headphones? headphones? Oh, go yeah. for it. Yeah, okay, you can. Cool. Is this the type of mic that... You kind of have to talk at it head on. Oh, I forget what they're all. There's like omnidirectional, yeah. and then there's the ones where you have to have them like pointed straight at you. Do I know you what you're saying, thing? and I don't. Know. You don't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to position myself to uh, for like optimal. We could. I mean, what we used to do was lab mics, and then I would sync them. Mm-hmm. But that sounds like a lot of work. Giant. Yeah. <laughs> so. Uh... I took a bunch of notes. This is the first time I've ever taken notes for a podcast. I don't know if I'll look at them while we're talking, but I did take them. I took notes too. You did. But I took look notes also during uh, something. Yeah, I've seen you take notes. But it's only been like once before. What was it? Do you know? No. It totally doesn't really matter. What was it? I think we should roll.